See, there it was. What? Your oh no. <laughs> oh, shit. I was saying that, like, that's her tagline on this podcast. Oh, she just no. gets fed up with something and goes, oh no. <laughs> oh, I almost did it just now, and then I was going to feel embarrassed. Don't, but you just said you didn't realize that you do it. and They don't. And it happens all the time. Shit. Mine's, I'm, I don't even know what mine is, but I'm sure it's stupid. Is. Fuck! <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, yes. Fuck! <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Are you a good witch? Or a bad bitch, bad bitch, bad bitch? I've been a rebel all my life. We will not remain hidden figures. We have names. Naughty to rule your list. Take your shoulders. Take your hips. Let a lady confess I want to be bad. I didn't kid you, did I? Well, now you know. Hey, Hannah. Hey, Deanna. I'm so sorry. That's okay. We've been actually talking for a little while because we've been having a very... We just got in the conversation Mm -hmm. that we, like, started off knowing we were on mic and then half <laughs> yeah. like not even halfway through it was more like a quarter of the way it just went in t- into territory that's <laughs> yeah. just like not even worth it's not it's it, yeah it's not our episode and it's not our podcast and it's also none of your business so <laughs> maybe i mean we may use some of it but maybe not yeah like we later on having, in a different we were episode. having a conversation as if we were hanging out not as if we were yes recording a podcast but we're here recording a podcast now damn straight good you, witches bad bitches you are listening to good witches bad bitches which do we even have like a real moment like that in last week's episode uh <laughs> <laughs> whatever every now and then we forget to intro our podcast but hopefully you know what we're doing this is a podcast about women and Women presenting Women folks. presenting, women identifying folks. Damn straight. And, Which uh, is, I feel like, is especially relevant to make sure that we say, just because it's pride and we are talking about a lot we of... We talk about a lot of, like, gender non-conforming yeah. people, uh, trans people, et cetera, et cetera. Very yep. masculine women, very feminine uh, women. It just doesn't... It doesn't yep. matter. Women yep. are women are women. And we want to talk about them because frequently they get overlooked. Yep. Historically speaking. Damn straight. So we want to have a platform for that. That was beautiful. Thanks. Thank you. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Are you a good witch? Or a bad bitch? Let us know by becoming a patron on on our our Patreon. Patreon. (laughs) Oh, no. Patreon is a service that helps content creators like ourselves keep the ship going and make sure that we're able to cover all the costs that uh, come along with doing our podcast. And the more patrons we get, hopefully the more content we can start creating exclusively for patrons. Yes. So if you are interested in something like that, please become a patron so that we can start creating that content for you. Also, when you become a patron, you will get a shout out on our podcast and we will thank you personally on air. How exciting is that? Very exciting. Yeah, yeah. You can find us at patreon.com slash podcast. Are you going to tell me about somebody this week? I am going to tell you about somebody that you're going to fucking love. Ooh! 
okay. You are. And this is the last episode of Pride Month. Yes, which I did not take lightly. I I really wanted to be aware of the fact that, A, it's Pride, which we've talked about, obviously, the last couple of weeks. What? I know. And I wanted to do, I, I wanted to talk about somebody who kind of embodied that in a big way, but maybe didn't necessarily have like a lot of the trauma that we do tend to talk about and have to talk about. And is often uh, portrayed in media. And is often portrayed like in the media. stories and things like yeah. the disproportionate number of LGBTQ peeps represented in, in TV shows that die and yes. shit like that. And even right depressing. now, yeah, I mean, I, like I will say there is a, there, there is a large attack on the transgender community by the Trump you know, the Trump White House. Um, that's indisputable. That's just something that's happening. And uh, unfortunately, it's a really fucking sad fact that a lot of, and this has always been true, but even more so in recent years, a lot of people in the transgender community um, and the LGBTQ community are are suffering violence. Um, and... I just I wanted to talk about somebody who was inspiring in every aspect of her life. You want to end on a more happy note. Yeah. A more positive, hopeful, forward thinking. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So I get that. You know, and I think in future years we will talk about Marsha P. Johnson. We will talk about Sylvia Rivera because especially because there are statues now being erected for them in New York. They're very important. They're very important. Um, and but they're also very well known. And they're very well known. Like, we, we know about them. We know about their sacrifice um, and their sacrifices and mm. their, you know, their the way they jump-started the Pride movement in a lot of ways. Yeah, mothers of the Pride movement, really. Exactly. Yeah. But we know, we do know about them. A lot of us know about them. And so we will get to them at some point. Queer, trans, sex workers of color. Yeah. Were the... Yeah. The mothers of pride. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it's... Today is June 26th. So it's two days away from Stonewall. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to talk about somebody whose legacy was sort of made possible by those movements. Yay. So. Take a drink of water. And jump into the Put story. Put those glasses on, girl. Put those glasses on, I know, because I suck at reading my computer and also um, talking out loud. Um, so today I want to talk about Tracy, quote, Africa Norman. Is this name familiar to you? No. All right. Um, most of my information and quotes come from an article from The Cut. I love The Cut. And it was written by Jada Yuan, or Juan, but I'm not sure how precisely to pronounce it, Y-U-A-N. She writes for a lot of different outlets, um, and her work is worth looking at. Um, so Jada Yuan, she wrote this article for The Cut in December 2015. Cool. And it was kind of the first time that anyone had talked about Tracy in a long, long time. And so it's the most comprehensive article that I found about her. Okay. Um, and then I did supplement with Wikipedia. There's some stuff from The Hollywood Reporter. And then there's another cut, the cut, 
article from later on that I also cited a little bit. Awesome. So, uh, I wanted to start with this with this paragraph from that article, which isn't necessarily the first paragraph, but it starts to be black and from Newark in the mid 1970s and get plucked from a model casting call for Italian Vogue by Irving Penn, it was the kind of success story that was unheard of, especially for someone like her, Tracy. She was signed by a top agency, photographed multiple times for the pages of Essence magazine. She landed an exclusive contract for Avon skincare and another for Clairol's Born Beautiful hair color boxes, number 512, Dark Auburn. She went to Paris and became a house model in the Balenciaga showroom, wearing couture and walking the runway twice a day. And Tracy was never as big as Amon and Beverly Johnson and Pat Cleveland or the other models of color breaking barriers on international runways or on the cover of Vogue, but she was riding that wave. And it was more than she could have ever hoped for when she was a kid in New Jersey, a kid who knew she was a girl, but who was born a boy. Wait, this does sound familiar now that you mentioned the story. It's, it's I've seen posts about her mm-hmm. on Tumblr. Yes, I would not be shocked, and I can't wait to show you pictures of her because she's her. She is stunning. I mean, yeah. her her bone structure alone is like fucking to die for. So I went back a little bit in time to her childhood because you know the article goes into a few other things, but I wanted to give a little bit of background. Um, all of her friends in school were female. Um, and that kept her relatively protected from bullying, which is, is a blessing, yeah. a huge blessing. Like she got, a, she got some name calling, but that was kind of it. And she would observe the behavior of her friends. She says, I would watch how they sit, listen to how they talk, how they communicated with each other. I would see how they walk. I would see how my mom would live her life and how she would move through the world. And she took all of that into account. Um, Her parents separated when she was really young, which was kind of a blessing at the time because her dad wasn't abusive necessarily, or at least not from what I could find. Um, But he was not happy with the fact that his child was so, quote, effeminate. Mm -hmm. And so he would enroll Tracy in boxing classes and, like, you know, try and get her to do, like, boyish things. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And none of it really worked, and her parents separated when she was pretty young. Okay. And then she didn't really see her dad again for a while, and she was it was just her and her mom. And her mom was a lot more accepting of her and her personality. Um, and it wasn't until graduating from high school, class of 1969, that Tracy finally came out to her mother, diploma in hand. Like, she just graduated she she had her diploma in hand from like walking off the stage and she went to her mom and told her that she was a woman and um tracy says that her mom just opened her arms gave me a big hug and said that she knew and she was just waiting for me to come to her i know (laughs) she says i had a moment where i realized what they mean when they say unconditional love Uh. i know I know. And I'm sorry if you hear Benjamin in the background chopping things, but he's just making dinner. But it was just, I mean, I, I, I think that's so beautiful, especially in 1969, 
you know, when you don't necessarily hear stories like that. Yeah. Um, and she ran into her dad later in life, like way later. Yeah. And she recognized him, but obviously he didn't recognize her. Ha. That's funny. And she told him, like, I'm Tracy. I'm your offspring, basically. And they didn't, he was a little bit like, ooh. But then he was diagnosed with cancer, and she went and visited him every day, and they slowly sort of rebuilt their relationship, and he came to a place of understanding, too. And so it took a long That's time. Great. and she, But she she never had much, she never had the kind of relationship with her dad that was, like, contentious and, like, terrible and, you know, her right. whole, spanned her whole life. And so she was able to rebuild this relationship in a way that was true to her identity and, and meaningful for the both of them. Yeah. Um, but bef- long before that, she had just graduated. She'd come out to her mom. She bought her first dress a little while after graduating. Mm. Um, she didn't wear it around that much, but I think that act of buying that dress was very pivotal for her. And it wasn't until she ran into a friend from high school whom she had remembered being a boy but was now presenting female and had breasts that she was like how how did you do that like what you know where does this come from and how do I also achieve that for myself and this friend told her about birth control hormones hormones and this friend was um taking birth control and obviously skipping the placebo week and that was how they were able to achieve that. That's so funny. Mm-hmm. Running into a classmate and she hadn't she didn't even know her well enough to know that she was going through the same sort of identity right at the time uh, exploration internally that she was. Yep. Wow. Yep. Yeah, and to find that sort of hack, <laughs> that life yeah. hack, you know, through that was kind of incredible. And she through that experience then went on to find um, more of like the gay scene and learned through that scene that there was something called hormone injections and there was a doctor that she discovered through that uh, community who offered up hormone injections under the table for cash. And so she participated in that and she ended up um, sort of like, sl- you know, slimming down her Adam's apple. She slimmed down in her body and gained a B cup. In With the hormones? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she basically was at a point where she could pass. And she felt comfortable passing, like trying to pass. And, you know, that was really scary, obviously, at the time. Because anytime you left the house and you were discovered or or there was that potential for discovery for being outed yeah that was dangerous yeah it was very very fucking dangerous it's still dangerous today sadly. it's still dangerous today um but it wasn't it's not quite as it's not quite the same in that like so many transgender women of the time ended up being sex workers and that was something that she, that Tracy, at least for, at least that was true of a lot of people that she knew. And that was why she, they, her friends had a lot of run-ins with the police and why it ended up, it was potentially very dangerous because you could be mistaken for that. Mm-hmm. And she was, she was just at a point where she was like really just 
just trying to embrace that identity and that body in public without any of the other bullshit. Mm. Um, she wanted to do more than pass, though. She wanted to excel in the most scrutinized realm of, quote, femininity. Um, and friends had often told her that she should go into modeling. Because she was tall and striking? She was tall and striking. And she was like, well, it would be a better alternative to sex work, which at the time felt like a very obvious direction. Mm. So um, she had a friend, who a makeup artist friend, who was like, hey, I know about all of these fashion shows. You should go just kind of like check them out get an education, see how these women are walking, and, you know, basically train yourself Mm -hmm. to become a model. Mm -hmm. And so that's what she was doing. And one morning in, she thinks, around 1975, she was on her way to see a fashion show that her friend had told her about at the Pierre Hotel. And um, when she stepped out of the subway, she noticed a group of black models she recognized from magazines standing on the corner outside the hotel. And she waited for them to go inside and then slipped in behind them and through the door into an elevator. And her mind just kept saying, according to her, follow them off the elevator into the next room. She made sure she was the last person in line. So she was just kind of like she saw this gaggle of models going into a building and into an elevator and was like, I should go with them. And she did. And she says, after I got close enough to see what was going on through the door of the hotel room, I saw that it was an interview and she stuck around. And near the end of the day, her turn finally came and she stepped up to the desk, not knowing really what like what she was doing there. And they asked for her name, her phone number and her agency, which she did not have. And the next day, she got a phone call saying that she had been booked for a two-day shoot for Italian Vogue, and the pay was $1,500 a day. Holy shit! (laughs) What a Cinderella story that is. Like, insane. She was just like, I had this instinct to follow this group of of tall, beautiful black women that I saw outside into a hotel, and I did. And I went to see what they were doing, and I did what they were doing, and now I have a job. And so she got this two-day shoot, $1,500 a day. She didn't realize at the time. Which in 1975? God, uh-huh. I'd, take, I'd take $3,000 for two days' work today. I mean, fucking right? It's, I mean, yeah, the money's insane. She didn't realize at the time that the people she had talked to were an editor from Italian Vogue, designer Luciano Soprani, and photographer Irving Penn. And so she remembers that on the shoot, during the shoot, Irving Penn gave her all sorts of encouragement and direction. And he was like, it was clear that she was a novice, but he was very fascinated by working with her and told her, basically kind of gave her her first education in modeling and what it meant to, like, smize, (laughs) Uh uh you know, Um, which she originally said was like, when he said smile with your eyes, she smiled with her whole face and, like, gave him this big cheesy smile. And he was like, no, no. (laughs) Your eyes and your eyes alone. Yes. (laughs) Um, But at the end of the second day, he congratulated her and wished her well on her new career. And she she says, I kind of tilted my head like, huh? And he said, well, we're going to call an agency. They're going to, you know, put you on a diet. And if you go on that diet, you can make a lot of money. 
I mean, you know, whatever. But sure. Sure. A week later, she was at the office. It was the 70s. Um, A week later, she was at the office of Zoli, a boutique modeling agency. And with Penn's endorsement, she signed with them immediately, and they began sending her on go-sees. Wow. Um, So things moved really fast with them. They sent her around the country for catalog shoots. Essence Magazine hired her for a big beauty shoot, which was her first major booking since Italian Vogue. Um, Photographer Anthony Barboza shot Norman with a gold collar made in Africa and the hairdresser Andre Douglas took a wig off his own head from his new collection he was trying to promote and placed it on hers. Um, So this, this Essence shoot was a really big, a really big deal. But during a break in the shoot, a makeup artist pulled Norman to the side and said that he knew what was going on with her. Maybe he noticed how nervous she was or how large her hands were and how she'd crossed them just so, uh, just to make them appear smaller. But she had no noticeable Adam's apple and her voice was as soft and as high as it is today. Today she's 65 or 66. Um, And he said, don't worry, I think you're beautiful, just be natural uh, and I won't tell. Like I'm not gonna say anything to anyone. Hmm. Um, it was worrisome that he had noticed, right. but he seemed to have good intentions and his encouragement of her really actually helped her to relax. And so she felt like, okay, I can actually do this. This is, this is okay. Like people here maybe are actually fine. Right. Um, and so her, her really big moment was the Clairol moment which I think I maybe mentioned in that first paragraph that she was a model of Clairol, the Auburn uh, number, what is it, 512. Um, So that came in the mid-70s as well, and the company was looking for fresh faces to adorn the boxes of its new hair dye line for women of color, Born Beautiful, and they brought her in for a test. Uh, Under the bright lights, her hair had reddish undertones. They snapped her photos and labored, labeled her hue dark auburn box 512. I'm sorry, they didn't even use the hair no. dye on her? <laughs> no, 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 get this. They concocted a hair color to match her hair color. But that's still false advertising, I'd just like to say. <laughs> because it's like plenty of people have asked me where to get my, like, who do, who dyes your hair? I want that color. I believe it. I believe it. And you could put me on a fucking Clairol box and label it a thing, mm-hmm. but I haven't dyed my hair a single day in my life. Like, no. not to change the overall cover, co- color. They would match their color that they created to your hair. Yeah, but then women who were going in to get their hair dyed would still not end up looking like me. Hey, man, it worked. It worked for them. They got fucking, like, crazy buku sales off of this wow and um basically what had happened is she had never dyed her hair but she had done a home perm to relax her curls and the interaction of the chemicals and the sun had naturally lightened her hair to a shade of auburn that's so funny (laughs) and so she signed this contract for two years use with the agreement that she would get paid more money if they renewed and they did twice so clearly it was selling. It was like a fucking big seller for them. Um, it, they, they told her that it was their hottest selling box. So she was on this Clairol box for six years and uh, they were emulating the look and according to this article, affirming the beauty of a transgender woman. Yep. Um, so I just fucking, I love that picture of her. <laughs> and 
It's so 70s. It's so 70s. And her hair is so great. Like, it's I can see so, exactly. Like, quaffed. It's so quaffed. And it is so auburn. It's so auburn. It's very red. <laughs> it's so funny. But um, oh, there are a lot of other, like, gorgeous pictures of her that you should look up. But, oh, I've been looking. Um, you can see how her cheekbones are just, like, insanity. Oh, God, I know. She's beautiful. Well, because she has that that exact look, that like supermodel look where you kind of have very severe features. Yes. But yes. they arrange in a particular way that are very like, yeah, striking where mm-hmm. you just stop and go, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. And especially on camera. Mm-hmm. Because I know very frequently a lot of like supermodels kind of look funny in person. That's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where you're like, wow, yes. your features are very exaggerated, but they look great on camera. And she's got that same kind of thing. Yes. Going on. Where, I mean, I've obviously never seen her in person, so I can't speak to that. But her features are very striking on camera. Yeah. I mean, yeah, she's she's just really fucking beautiful. Um, it was an, uh, uh, an essence shoot essence magazine in in 1980s where that career the modeling career kind of came to a halt um she was working with susan taylor who was an editor um and whom she'd worked with before on essence shoots and according to tracy one of the assistants came in whispered something in susan's ear and then susan sort of just calmly wrapped up the set was she outed she was outed. That's what she believes. No one will say any like no one will actually admit this. And actually, what's interesting is I found an article um, that the cut that Jada from the cut did after this one came out. She did an interview with Susan Taylor, who read the original article and called the cut and said, no, that's not what happened. I would never, ever out someone. I would never do that. Yeah, but she didn't out her. She just stopped the job. Right. I mean, Tracy Norman believes that Susan called her agency and, and like, told them. Mm-hmm. She believes that Susan Taylor was kind of a part of it. Mm-hmm. Susan Taylor says she was not. I'm not going to comment on whether or not that's the case. But I will say is I think it's interesting that they both sort of have different perspectives of what happened there. Sure. Basically, I mean, the gist is that they never used the pictures. They never called Tracy again. And Tracy's agency never got her any other jobs. And then they kind of dropped her. Yeah. So she's Hmm. like, okay, clearly my secret was out. She, um... She really thinks that whatever happened that day and whoever told that assistant what they knew then went and told fucking everyone in the industry. And, of course, the rumor mill is a very powerful thing. Yes, especially in any sort of entertainment field. Mm-hmm. Yes. Or visual field. Yes. And no one ever explicitly told her that that was why she never worked again. But it's it really is the only thing that makes sense. Yep. So she ended up having to move out of her upper, I think it was West Side apartment, and she moved to Paris for a little while. She was like, okay, well, modeling is in Paris, too, and I can work there. Um, But besides a short-term stint doing catwalk work for Balenciaga, she really wasn't finding work there either. Hmm. She went to Milan for a little bit, kind of same deal. So she came home. um, And she still says, like she says even now, that coming home was maybe not the right thing like that she should have stayed in Paris and 
tried to find work for tried a little while. Tried longer. Because I think really what happened was she was just feeling so defeated. Well, and that, that clearly comes through in your confidence level when you go out for yeah. go-sees or auditions or things. Like, that's something I can relate to. Yeah, absolutely. When you're and feeling I, downtrodden or depressed or... Yeah. And yeah. you feel... And you're feeling this thing like no one will confirm to you the actual truth, but you feel it in your gut that this was the thing that happened. That's really fucking hard. And I think she just... I, I feel like... On the one hand, yes, maybe Paris would have been great for you. But on the other hand, maybe it wasn't the right time for Paris, for Tracy Norman. Maybe. So, you know, she came home and she she worked in a shoe shop for a little while. She actually saw Susan Taylor, the editor who she thinks outed outed her. her. And they had a very strained interaction in this shoe store. Um, But she kind of, you know tried to do her thing for a while and it was just really not working and finally her designer friend douglas says suggested that she try working at show center which was a burlesque peep show featuring trans women in times square and she did it that sounds cool i mean it was really cool she says she liked it because we were uh in a booth and behind glass and no one could touch you They offered private shows and dancing on stage where customers would put tips through a slot in the glass. I mean, that sounds ideal, frankly. (laughs) It sounds pretty great, honestly. And she worked there for three years, earning between $900 and $1,500 a day. Enough to move back into the city and get her apartment back. I mean, yeah. So that's what she did. And it was... pay your rent in one day's work. Yes, exactly. So well, I mean, especially back then. God, that's by today's prices. Oh, my God. Yeah. No, I know. Today, like a, a, an upper you earn, west side. You probably earned twice your rent in one day back in those days. Yeah. Uh, like now, an upper west side apartment is like forty two to $5,000 for like a one. That's, in, that's crazy money is my point. Yeah, it was crazy money. And she was very. <laughs> for being protected by a wall and yeah. getting tips through a slot. She was stoked about it. She was like, all right, I can do this. This is fine. Like, I'm happy about this. And she stayed there for a long time. And it was while working at Show Center that she got involved in the drag ball community. Yeah. Which I don't I don't really know much about, but I know it's a big thing. Um, at first, she would just attend them and watch. But when she first uh, heard about one of the balls offering a grand prize of $1,000, and she was, as always, broke, she called up a designer friend <laughs> and borrowed. Was that editorializing? <laughs> she was, as always. Not my editorializing. Yeah, I don't know. I know. But yes, it was editorializing. Uh, she called up a designer friend and borrowed a dress to compete. So it's like nice that she still had some connections she could tap, you know. Right. Uh, she didn't win that ball, but she was happy to be in a place where she could finally be exactly who she is. And she became a member of the House of Africa, one of the teams that competes against other houses in the balls. Yeah, this makes me want to watch Pose. Yes, exactly. I really want to watch Pose. In fact, um, I want I do want to mention something about a podcast later on after I finish this concerning cool. Pose. Yep. Uh, so she eventually became the mother of House uh, House of Africa, which I think is where Tracy Africa Norman comes from. Oh, for sure. So she prided herself on using her modeling skills to get her, quote, children to walk like professionals rather than <laughs> <laughs> in the flamboyant style that was in vogue before she joined. Um, 
the high fashion walk. Uh-huh. Yeah. She was like, I'm Instead going to. Instead of a to... campy walk, exactly. she did the high fashion. Yeah. Exactly. She was like, I'm going to make my, my children high fashion. And her own personal trademark move was to walk out in just jeans and a t-shirt. And when she reached the judge- judges, she would pull out a white handkerchief from her back pocket. And then she would wipe it across her face and show the handkerchief to the judges to show that she had no makeup on. And the crowd would go insane. They God. fucking loved it. That's so awesome. I mean, especially because she was just like. That's a baller move. I know. <laughs> In the ballroom world, excellence and longevity are rewarded with titles like legend and icon. And Tracy Norman became both and was inducted into the Ballroom Hall of Fame in 2001. Which is fucking awesome. Like, after having a whole modeling career, which, yes, was tanked by some fucking asshole, and no one knows who, fine. But, like, then she went on to have a whole new career in ballroom, in, like, trans she, drag is ballroom. Is she in Paris is Burning? Yes. Okay. I Yes, I believe she is. My cat is going insane. My cat's going insane. So more important, she was embraced by a community of women who personally and intimately understood her own struggles. Yes, which is important. Yes. Community is important. Community is important. She says, girlfriends to relate to, to share with. We didn't compete with each other. There would be no men we'd compete for. It was just true love, friendship, and respect for each other. And I've never had that with another female, so I cherish that a lot. Hmm. Um, yeah. So Norman's story, especially before this this story from the cut, was barely known even in the trans community. So Janet Mock, an NBC MSNBC host and author of Redefining Realness, recalls first hearing about Norman right after she herself came out as transgender in 2011, and she was shocked. She said, it's like another girl telling you, oh my God, there was once this woman who modeled all these years and she wasn't a white girl. She was a black girl and she had a Clairol campaign and she was on the, on the box of a hair color. And you're like, what? And God, I love Janet Mock. I know. Mock- Her book is amazing. Redefining Realness is so good. Okay. Maybe I'll link to it in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Um, Mock Googled everything she could about Norman, which at the time turned up just one YouTube video. She says, there was a sense of relief for me, at least on a personal level, to know that, holy shit, someone has been there before and has done this at a time when there was a lot more violence and a lot more risk. Mm -hmm. Laverne Cox of Orange is the New Black, too, discovered Norman's story about five years ago while reading a blog dedicated to the unsung heroes of trans history. She says, I was just enthralled, first of all, that there was this black model in the 70s who got a hair contract, who had a cosmetic, who had cosmetic deals. That was just really a big deal for any black model. And then for her to be trans is beyond amazing. Yes. So Laverne was well into her transition at that point, but she found Norman deeply inspiring proof of a lineage of black trans women succeeding and making a living off of their looks. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many hours I stared at that photo of her on the Clairol bottle and that captions born beautiful says Cox. Yes, we are born beautiful. So I would have capped it there, except that there is another fucking awesome thing that happened after this article from the cut came out um clairol read the article 
And they reached out to Tracy. And at age 63, Tracy Africa Norman became the new face of the Clairol Nice and Easy Color As Real As You Are campaign in 2016. Uh, 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 I know. Oh, I know. So she is a fucking working model to this day now. That's so great. At age 63 in 2016. So she's 60. Seven, no, 66 now. No, she's 67 now. now is what uh, Google says. Okay, okay. So, I mean, fuck. <laughs> I know. And that is the, the, the roller coaster story of Tracy Africa Norman, who is a fucking amazing human. That's awesome. And I'm obsessed with her story. And that's that. Mm, thanks, Hannah. <laughs> That's so great. We've had such a trans-focused Pride Month. Yeah. And I am all for it. I think it's appropriate. Yeah. Holy shit. I just wish I could find the Twitter interaction that I had with Janet Mock. Because my when I met Janet Mock, I was in D.C. trying to catch a train at, like, the big train station. I, I was very stressed out because um, I was trying to... Uh, it was when I was in grad school. So I was going from Savannah to Boston for my cousin's graduation. And it was like my flight got canceled. And then I was because I had a connection in D.C. And then I missed my connection. And the uh, airline basically advised me that at this point, because there had been storms the day before. So a lot of people were getting flights that had like transferring for flights that had been canceled from the day before. Um, they were like, well, we can get you on a flight tomorrow. And I was like, but my cousin's graduation is tomorrow morning, so I need to be there tonight. And they were like, well, then I would counsel you to take a train. And I was like, okie dokie. <sighs> They're like, it's, it's a few hours, you know, like five hours, I think, total, maybe less. I don't, whatever. I yeah. don't know for sure. It took a lot longer because the train got delayed. But anyway, um, I was like trying to find the right line, trying to find a train. T- I had to like take a cab to the train state. I was so stressed out. And I was like, fuck I have to pee and I was like waiting in line uh, and I was like trying to find the bathroom and I was in line for the bathroom and it was long as fuck and then uh, there was a woman who came up to me and was like is this the line for the women's restroom or like where do I go to do this or that or this or that and it was like this beautiful woman and I was just like yeah huh, this is the women's bathroom line and uh, and then I was like she looks so familiar to me why does she look so familiar what the fuck and I was like is that was that Janet Mock I don't know if that was Janet Mock, but I think maybe it was. And so I tweeted that I think I just ran into Janet Mock at the, in the Washington, D.C. train station. And she was like, were you the woman who I asked if this was the bathroom line? And I was like, yes. And I just thought I was like, oh, thank oh, God. God. But then I realized that that was the moment because I had a, my Kindle with me and I immediately bought Redefining Realness because I was like, I've been meaning to buy and read the book. And then I met the woman out like spontaneously and just like for and then I was that's just like the okay, universe. that's the universe telling me to read it yep. and it was like the opening quote I think I even posted it god that's so cool I fucking love that right that's so sweet she actually was like yeah. oh yeah I know you <laughs> um, uh, she had an opening quote in the book and it says you become strong by doing the things you need to be strong for this is the way genuine learning takes place that's a very difficult way to live but it has also served me. It's been an asset as well as a liability. The yep. universe is like, read this book. Do yep. it now. Yep. I love that. 
I love that. And I, I love that Tracy had an impact on Janet and on Laverne. And now that she has the opportunity to have an impact on lots of people, thanks to, you know, this article and various articles that came out um, after the fact, and now this Clairol, this new Clairol campaign. I mean, it's really, it's really amazing. I cut quite a bit from that article in order to make it fit for time, and obviously I editorialized a lot. Like, I added my own uh, thoughts and blah, blah, blah. But in that article, there are a lot of quotes from people saying, we didn't know what to call it at the time. Yeah. We didn't know how to think of it at the time. And there's a reason I I cut all of that from the actual story because, like, I don't think that's necessary. Like, she was a woman. That's that. But but it is interesting to just kind of realize that at the time, people didn't know what to call it. Like you said in last week's episode, um, potentially, if we don't cut it, <laughs> uh, transsexual was a word that people may have knew of, but maybe they didn't it was it was the common parlance for for describing a person that we would now call transgender right transgender was not a word that was used back in mid-century mid-20th century right exactly it was transsexual it was transsexual and even that has different i think connotations for for people now Oh, it definitely Just, you does. You know what I mean? Like, I, it makes me wonder about, like, how, like, the longer a word exists, like, maybe, because it's, like, that was when being trans was, like, really first thrust into the public spotlight, mm-hmm. as opposed to just hiding in the shadows. Yeah. And, uh, and I think then it was probably hurled around the word transsexual as a derogatory term. Yes. And so, therefore, it then became a term that nobody wanted. Right. I don't know. That's this is pure conjecture, but it's just, you know, yeah, a thought. Yeah, it, yeah. I mean, it is it is interesting to think about how those words evolved and where they came from and what they mean and what they meant, and how it meant more than it probably should have to mm-hmm. a lot of people. Mm-hmm. You know, to the to the extent that Tracy's entire career could be nuked. By that reality. By that revelation. By that yeah. revelation. and Which is, it's not even a, it's just, this is who this person is. Mm-hmm. Oh, we don't want that. Right. Which that, that could literally be anything that right. you can't help. Yep. The way that you're born. Right. And now you know. we are so blessed. We have so many beautiful trans models. I mean, I say so many, but we have a we, few. A lot more than we used to. A lot more than we used to. And, and Tracy really paved the way for a lot of them. I mean, in a big way. And so, you know, just uh, we don't have to keep going Harping on and on. on but I just, like, I loved her story so much. And I also... I too. I loved that, like, her mom was so accepting of her. And ultimately... And then ultimately her father her as father. well. So even though she didn't... She didn't get the support of the modeling community at first when they found out exactly who she was. She has it now. Yeah. And that is beautiful. Yeah. So... Thanks, Han. Yeah. And honestly, on this day in history, June 26th, I looked at a lot <laughs> of There's a history. lot that happens in June. There's a lot, but I'm not going to talk June about... June busting out all over. 
I'm not going to talk about any of it because none of it's as important as um, the Supreme Court ruling that same-sex couples have a constitutional right to marriage. Uh. Yay! So that's that. And also June 28th, honorary, you know, whatever. We have to talk about it. Stonewall. It was Stonewall. So two days from now, Stonewall, the anniversary of Stonewall. anniversary, man. Yes, ma'am. Which then New York Pride is that weekend. Yes, ma'am. So that's that's all I'm going to do for On This Day in History. And Fantastic. Yeah. 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 Um, what are you excited about? Uh, I'm excited about uh, a couple of TV shows that I've started watching. Um, just silly little recommendations. Yes, um, tell me. You know what? The, the train that I finally just got onto, um, I finally... Finally started watching Fleabag. Oh. Um, like, I'm literally three episodes into the first season. It's fucking great. Is it? Okay. Yes. Okay. It's I'm going to have to check it out. so good. Um, I mean, I I love Killing Eve, and I know Phoebe Waller-Bridge was like, she's the showrunner um, of that show. Of Killing Eve. Uh-huh. Yeah, okay. Uh-huh. And she wrote Fleabag. Yeah. Um, and stars in it. And Fleabag is earlier than Killing Eve, correct? Yeah, season one. Yeah. Okay. Season two just came out relatively recently. Okay. Um, and it's just, it's fucking great. And then I also literally last night, as of the time we're taping this, started watching Good Omens. Oh, yeah. Which is really fun. It is really fun. Yeah. It's so fun. Ben and I are on it's episode two. It's quirky and cute. Yeah. We I just think, finished episode two. I think I've two. watched two. Yeah. Yeah. We're in the same place. Oh, shit. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay with that. I mean, if you, if any of you read the the book Good Omens, like I, so I discovered Good Omens years ago, and I've read it. I've read the book several times, and it's one of my favorite books. How it's, are they doing? They're doing okay. I will say that there are some things that feel a little bit abrupt, but at the same time, like the book has a lot of people. It yeah. does have a lot of characters. It has a lot of storylines. Part of what makes it whimsical. You know, it gives it that whimsy is how many characters it has and how they all ultimately sort of come together. Yeah. Um, I will say I like John Hamm with purple contacts. John Hamm is fantastic. As the I'm, angel Gabriel. Yes. Mm. I'm so surprised by how much he's like a I dumb, him. dumb frat boy. <laughs> as an angel. As an angel. <laughs> it's so great. But also like as a middle aged man. Yeah. He's fantastic. I love him. And Michael Sheen as the angel. He's the sweetest, goodest boy. He's the sweetest, goodest boy. And David Tennant is Crowley, the de- the demon, as the not so sweetest, goodest boy is. Uh, I mean, he still kind of is though, from what it seems like. Yeah, but except for the fact that he intimidates the plants. Yeah. Those poor plants. The shake. The shaking plants. Okay, but no, it's really it is really sweet, and I I am enjoying it. Yeah. Loving the book. I am enjoying the show. Watch Fleabag. So watch Fleabag. Watch Good Omens. Okay. And you also finished Schitt's Creek. Yeah. Well, all that's on Netflix. All that's on Netflix. I know you've been telling me to watch Schitt's Creek forever. And I finally got started. Yes. And made my way through season one over the course of like three weeks. Mm -hmm. And then seasons two, three, and four, I think I got through... (laughs) In like four days. Um, because they're magical. Like once you get into the episodes them. are quick to get through. Yeah. And there's only like 12 episodes per season. So mm-hmm. it's really easy to binge. And yeah. it's so fucking good. And I'm sorry, but 
you would not expect from the first episode how fucking skillfully this show works romance. I have not seen for multiple characters. There are multiple Mm -hmm. romance storylines where it is. I have teared up and cried like outright cried for this fucking ridiculous, silly show. (laughs) And I'm like, are you kidding me? Mm -hmm. They're able to take these characters on this journey Mm -hmm. and get me to that place. I'm so glad that you are finally with me on this because this is what I, because you can't say that without like. Without giving stuff away. Yes, exactly. I mean, I can't talk about which characters, what developments. Oh, yeah, it's so it's, hard. I mean. But it's beautiful, you guys. It's so beautiful. So It's very good. So there's three shows. But yeah, yeah, Schitt's Creek is great. I told my mom <laughs> she needs to watch it. Yes, yes. And like literally, it's so funny because I saw that clip before circulating it went viral uh-huh. of when um moira Catherine o'hara laughs without <laughs> moving her face <laughs> yeah. because that's one of the funniest things that oh pe- anyone God. can do and she does it so skillfully <laughs> and i thought it was funny when i saw it and then i forgot that it happened and then when i watched the show i had to pause <laughs> because i was laughing so fucking hard <laughs> she's so oh, masterful God. at comedy i can't all of them are they all Eugene are. Eugene Levy is amazing. Dan Levy is amazing. Annie Murphy is amazing. Dan, uh, what fucking Catherine O'Hara and and, and Emily Hampshire. Emily Ham, but like, but but everyone on that fucking show is so good. I know they're all they're all. It's so good, and it's funny because that show has been on now for several years. Because they they just aired the fifth season. They just on aired TV. the fifth season and TV on TV, and so yeah, it's been on for a long time. But in the U.S., for whatever reason, it really caught on last year, and I think that's because, like I, I got into it because I love Emily Hampshire, who was on Twelve Monkeys, and when I when Twelve Monkeys was like kind of on hiatus on um, Hulu or Netflix, I went and watched Shit's Creek so I could watch her because I love her. Mm. And she plays Stevie. And and then, like, literally six months, eight months after that, the internet exploded. And I think it's because of the romance element that you're talking about. Like, that was then aired. For multiple characters, though. For multiple characters. And that, I think, really cinched the American audience. So We love a good love story. We love a good love story. It's beautiful. It's brilliant. But and it's so we well done. It. And it's so, like, it's not even cheesy, which is Mm-mm. fucking ridiculous because these this family, especially in season one, are caricatures of people. Mm-hmm. And they're still very silly. Yeah. But they go on such a growth journey. They're definitely dynamic characters. And, like, you are so happy when they are happy, even though you feel in episode one, season one, you're like, wow, these people are shitty and don't deserve anything. And then, anyway, this became more about Schitt's Creek. Than- <laughs> I'm sorry. That was my fault. But, but I brought it but up. you're right. I was just excited that you watched it and you were excited about it. And we can make sure everyone else is excited about it, too. I hope my mom watches it. Me, too. Because I recommended it to her. And on that, and, and Eugene Levy in that show is literally like my stepdad. Oh my god! To me, for some reason, Johnny Rose reminds me of my stepdad so much, and and he, oh, no. I don't know why. It's not even that they're the same person. <laughs> it's just like certain elements of the way he reacts to things. I like that, and like just how much. much how much Johnny and Wyra love each other. Uh, Their relationship is again with the romance bullshit. 
It's bullshit how good they are at that. Like these people are ridiculous, but they love each other so much. I know. Anyway. I know it's beautiful. Okay. We can. <laughs> I feel like I've been screaming into the microphone because I'm so jacked up. You're so excited. I'm glad you're excited and jacked up. <laughs> oh my God. All right. Well, we can end this now. <laughs> Let's uh, relieve y'all until next we'll, week. We'll relieve you. I really hope that this week was enjoyable. Happy Pride. Um, Be safe. Be safe, please. But and please ugh. enjoy yourself. Yeah. Yep. If you are marching, fantastic. If not, fantastic. I tend do to be overwhelmed thing. by pride crowds. It's in a New little York. overwhelming. So do your thing. But either way, Celebrate we're here way. with you. And um, uh, P.S. If you feel inclined, please leave us a review. Check out our Patreon. Yeah, become a patron. Um, yeah, I mean, we our love... Our patrons are actually really cool. Every single person Ugh. who's become a patron, they're like the coolest people. Our patrons are the fucking best. And, you know, reach out to us on social media. And otherwise, peace out, witches. Bye. Bye-bye. for listening to Good Witches, Bad Bitches. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is hosted by Deanna Greif. Me. You. And you. <laughs> Hannah Ferguson. And we're produced by Benjamin Garst. Um, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. Google Play. Google Play. Pretty much more. anywhere you listen to your podcasts, you can find us there. We're also on social media. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, GWBB Podcast. You can also email us at gwbbpodcast at gmail.com. We love to receive emails. If you have a story about a woman in your life that you want to hear on air, uh, shoot it over to us. We would love to read it. If you want to help keep us running, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash gwbbpodcast. <laughs> Become a patron and help us you know, pay for our hosting. Yeah, Patreon really helps content creators be able to continue to create their content. And it just kind of helps us break even on the costs of producing this podcast. And it would be really awesome if you wanted to help out. If you like it, you can be a part of it. Also, to help us out, you can rate, review, and subscribe. All of, the, all of those things are extremely helpful for us. They help other listeners find us. Yeah. Word of mouth, also good. Yeah. <laughs> our website is gwbbpodcast.com. You can find all of our episodes there as well as some other things bubbling out of our witchy cauldron. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is powered by Moon Bounce.